This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. Alrighty guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. So, a while ago, we touched on some tools that we used, and inspired by a recent Reddit post, we figured, you know what? When we're researching prices and stuff, let's take a look at how that's changed for us. What tools do we use now that we didn't before? What tools do we use before that we don't now? Why has that changed? How has that changed? Just to kind of go into the mindset of why we pick cards like foil planar collapse or something like mm -hmm. that, or just generally what we're looking at picking up when we're picking up collections. Yep. Yep. Uh, so to make it pretty simple, uh, back in episode 70, we went over the tools that we used. And at that point in time, it was actually just a lot of website and constructed play data. Uh, we were looking at MTG Meta, Aetherhub, MTG Top 8, Goldfish, uh, MTG Dex, like trader tools, uh, a bunch of stuff on EDH Rex, uh, utilizing uh, MTG JSON and uh, filtering on stocks. And a lot of that has kind of for me, gone by the wayside this year because while there are constructed events, the financial appeal to investing in them or specking on them really doesn't exist anymore. And EDH has been so lucrative, I've basically changed my entire model to function around EDH. So most of those tools, like I said, are gone. I'll, I'll still use it from time to time if people are talking about decks or I'm enjoying a conversation about building, etc. or uh, I want to get ahead of you know when modern comes back, and I want to have something ready to go. I'll still use those websites. They're not gone, but for the purposes of trying to get ahead of a trend or navigate the financial landscape looking for a spec, I no longer really rely on format information like that. Uh, recs and stocks are still a huge part of what I do, but uh, meta, top eight, et cetera, they're all pretty much uh, gone. Uh, in you know the last forty some episodes, uh, have you stuck with anything from that list? So I, the things that I've stuck with, it's actually quite a bit more than I I thought would be. Uh, the ones that I you know shed basically like MTG top eight, a lot of the deck stuff I kind of got away from um, because you know the only metagame that's out there is Moto, and as we've touched on before, the Moto metagame is drastically different just because like hey, that meta shifts immediately yep. because people have access to all of the cards for cheap. Yes. And that's not always the case in Paper Magic, not to mention Paper Magic just doesn't exist right now. So, you know, I didn't stick with Top 8. I didn't stick with, like, MTG JSON. You know, Trader Tools stuck around. The Stocks filters stuck around, like the new ones. Yeah. Uh, you know, those are great. Um, specifically, I know you, like one of the sections i actually like the loss section is okay. what i kind of look for because the loss section when you're thinking more long term you can look for the memes or the stuff that wasn't a real spike or that's kind of price correcting but you know that there's a trend there for it to go up in price historically mm -hmm. yeah so you can get in low and go in higher um i definitely trader tools i cannot stress enough is one of the best things in terms of time mm -hmm that you can have at your disposal. So I definitely use that. That's one of the biggest ones. Um, you know, for me, what, what about you? What have you, what have you shed, uh, so to speak, from what you used in that episode? So um, MTG 
meta was probably the one I leaned on the most. Um, MTG Top 8 was on its way out because it was super slow for some reason, and in that time period where it began to just become slow and unwieldy, the other options came up. And meta provided this great like aggregate system, and then without the need to pay attention to construct it, it kind of fell away. And because it just tracks uh, Arena and Moto, and I believe it's fed data by uh, MTG Melee, it doesn't really yeah. become that much more useful for me now than it was then. Instead, what's actually taken its place is MTG Dex, because they also capture EDH games from Moto. So mm -hmm. over the last couple of weeks, while I've been looking up my picks, what I, I will go back to MTG Dex and see if it's being played on Moto, because that represents this weird kind of landscape for EDH where people are playing games, they're not necessarily submitting their decks to Rec, but if there's this overlap, then there's probably a little more validity to a card that has low volume uh, than there otherwise would if there was no other data for it. MTG, or sorry, uh, Moto, kind of represents this new frontier for EDH, especially now that you can play multiplayer games, and the prizes, quote-unquote prizes, are given out based on a vote system, similar to the way they were done at Star City events and the Command Fests now. And that's actually kind of come up and big, been the big thing for me the last couple of months. Aside from that, I've started relying on um, the last week's section of stocks a lot more, rather than just the daily interests. Like, um, they quietly updated the filters and you can no longer get to like a dollar as a filter amount it's five dollar minimum change yeah so that means that everything's going to be really volatile regardless of whether you're looking at the reserve list or not so looking at the the since last week section of the interest page is generally pretty uh, pretty decent because it gives you a longer history of price trends and allows you to kind of dodge fomo buying you know, a lot's been going on the last couple of weeks where all of a sudden something just turns around because, you know, the LOIC, the low orbit ion cannon, just focuses on some card, a uh, reserve list, or just revised and older and just boop, it's gone. Like, yeah. Moat is now a $100,000 card, according to TCG player, because it was reloaded by non direct sellers that much, you know, and that's ridiculous. But if, when it hit on the daily interest, you were looking at the since last week interest, you wouldn't see it yet because that was an overnight an overnight spike. That wasn't a, a gradual gain. And the last week section has been this nice gainer for me. Coupled with that actually is this like homegrown script that I wrote that's available to our patrons and in general if uh, you follow me on Greasy Fork, which is just a code repository for Tamper Monkey scripts. And uh, I'm very smooth-brained when it comes to doing uh, percentages on the fly. And so all my script does is add a column all the way to the right of the interest page for both MTG stocks and the Pokemon equivalent Pika stocks of the dollar shift, positive and negative. And it just allows me to take a look and at a glance see how, how much things have gone up because, you know, you get down to like the single percents and if you have a card that's you know dollars versus hundreds of dollars just trying to smooth brain that like on the fly just doesn't work for me and this has actually been really helpful for me overall it's a very simple very quick thing that i did but it just provides a lot of utility and i can see okay that jump looks a little too ridiculous you know a jump of 100 percent on a one dollar card seems a little more reliable than 100 percent on a hundred dollar card you know yeah and th this makes it a little more approachable for me because i like at a glance data i like 
I don't want to have to tell a story. I don't need to do data analysis on my MTG finance specs. I need to do the dirty work and understand why it moved. What are the drivers? I I don't need to sit there and just run the, the price stiff, you know? Yeah, definitely not. And so for me, that part of stocks has been uh, incredibly useful, especially with, with that, that little uh, tool set. And the other thing that's become a lot more relevant to me recently is uh, the CK hot list. And the CK hot list is pretty unique because it's larger than people think it is. It just sits there as this little banner, kind of innocuous, and it displays, I think it's six cards, five cards, five, six cards at a time. And it could be anywhere from like 40 to 80 cards. But when you reload the page, it reloads the next set of the hot list. And as far as I can tell, there's no flagging for the hot list in the API they offer. So unless you're literally pulling this out, yeah. which is another Tamper Monkey script that I wrote that sits there for people to use, you don't really see it. And once I did that, making a lot of my picks and financial decisions became really easy because I could just, like I said, part of my daily routine, pop open their homepage, read down those lists and say, oh, this card's been on here for two or three days. What's going on here? And then start taking a look. I because I'm not into you know, swing trading or, or day trading. This allows me to kind of track and keep tabs mentally. I'll write stuff down on, on Google Sheets all the time. And I'll, and I'll just take a look. And uh, for me, this has been super useful. Uh, it's very easy to install. I walked a couple people through it already. And it literally just takes the entire strand that is their hot list and breaks it into uh, a list that's in alphabetical order. And you can just click on a card and it brings you right through to the buy list page. And then there's an accompanying tamper monkey script that takes the quantity to sell dropdown and breaks it out into a number. So you don't just have to click there. And you can see that a lot of what I do is to make at a glance data acquisition easier because I'm lazy. I don't need to write Mongo scripts to go out and using the API that they have, and I'll show you later, take their entire buy list and dump it somewhere and run data analysis on a daily basis because I'm not that kind of financier. Yeah, It's not me. I just like to ride things out like they're dividends. I, I don't like to do day trading. Like a three month, oh, two to three month turnaround is like the quickest I want to do things because that's a little too volatile for me otherwise. If I ride something out for a while and it just, it's volatile in the long term but continue to go up, I'm perfectly fine with that. I just don't want to accept the risk of a two to three month spec and like not, not because I care to, I don't care to lose the money or I care to lose the money. I just don't want to have to be super reactive and like worry about getting on my stuff into the mail every yeah. second. Yeah. Did I lose 15 cents per card all of a sudden? Well, I'm only in for 20, so now I'm losing money. So yeah, yeah, and like beating other people out to buy lists and things like that because we know that's a problem sometimes where you might timestamp you know your buy list is timestamps technically, but in like the agreement for every buy list is like, hey, if prices shift, we'll alert you when it comes in. And yeah. if I'm competing with everybody else, if I'm in the swarm for that quick turnaround, you know, it might not have been, the juice might not have been worth the squeeze. So like the Card Kingdom hot list and that little, and my scripts associated with that and the buy list page have been super useful for me. Like those two, those two fun pieces of functionality are just on one website, cut out a ton of what I was looking at in regards to constructed resources, you know, no pun intended with that podcasting, but like I cut out so much of my daily basis just understanding more about the CK hot list. Now, there is a little trick to this in the fact that you've got to remember that coming into a set release, 
that hot list is just going to be populated with the new set cards, and they're they're not buying them. It's just like, hey, this is what we're selling. The hot list changes, yeah. so for a couple of days, it's gone. But other than that, it's just this beautiful resource. And it is, you know, I I think the more people dabble their toes into MTG finance, the more important it is that people have quick glance because that helps you get your feet wet. Yeah. Just to be like, you know what? I understand it. Cool. I can look at this and it doesn't have to make sense. You know, it's just, all right, cool. Awesome. Fantastic. And it makes it significantly easier for people to just get in to begin with. Yeah. And it helps you understand, you know what? Just looking at this data isn't enough. I have to, like you said, understand the drivers for it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, if you release more time there and spend more time at doing that, you'll get a significantly better return for your investment. Yeah. If you understand the drivers, because once you really understand it and get it, you can start to actually make moves. Yes, yeah. so. and you can pick things out. You'll have better insight into what's going on longer term. You can start saying like, okay, I'm looking for a lot of EDH stuff. I understand EDH, I understand what's going on. Out of call time, I'm going to look at cards X, Y, and Z, track the price uh, you know, in a Google sheet with a formula, and once it hits a certain amount, that's when I'm gonna make my move because this card is parallels cards A, B, and C, and those cards are all highly playable. So my expectation is the price will go up. It allows you to start making correlations like that. And it's not to say that like that moving quickly and being agile with your specs isn't a bad thing. It's just not the way I want to do it either. And this is even to get there, you need somewhere to start. And a lot of this at a glance stuff is perfect. So one of the things that I've added that I think is a little bit more important, uh, at least for me in terms of acquisitions, mm -hmm is I pay significantly more attention to the local metagame yep. than I did before because locals are still playing at home. They're still having a few friends over, playing EDH, whatever. So paying attention to that metagame, to what Pauper, Legacy, whatever they're grinding at home, mm -hmm. has been one of the things that's helped me a lot, especially because, you know, as some of you know, uh, Mini is based in St. Louis, and they're... Bylas shut down. It looks like they're going to close their magic department. Not entirely, obviously. So there's no alpha store for singles anymore. So nobody really has anywhere to go to get the card right now when they need it. Mm -hmm. So that's been kind of helpful to me is to pay attention to that. In addition to, honestly, just the Discord hive mind. You guys in the Cabal Discord uh, and the Underground Discord and just in a few of the other Discords, even like Spikes, yep. you can get some information from there. And something paying attention to the local metagame I've noticed is people are moving more into the historical formats middle school, pre-modern old school, whatever you want to go into and I've actually started reading historic articles about those times in magic and that's been really helpful to me to get into the nitty gritty and understand well you know why is fire selling really well oh well because these decks have popped up in the local middle school meta and naturally fires counters that so what's the next thing they're going to go to yeah. and i think that that's something that you've seen shift as COVID has evolved is what people are doing to pick up cards what they're paying attention to for acquisitions mm -hmm. 
and how they're going about that, which I think is really cool. Oh, no, absolutely. We talked about it early on, and we bring it up every now and again. Or you and I do serve locals when we can, you know, buy buy and sell from locals. So it's important to keep abreast of what's going on with your locals. When I have the opportunity to go out and vend a a pre-release, and I stock my own stuff in the case, I don't put cards that I know people don't play in my local and I know that even if somebody might play duels the majority of the people that are going to look at my cases aren't going to spend that kind of money on one card yeah so it comes down to that understanding when you want to serve that very specific customer base absolutely and you know rely not relying on but speaking about the local customer base one of the things that I I built and you know dog fooded for me and it's available again to make buying easier and I even used to track my collections is just since I really just rely on the CK buy list and the Troll and Toad buy list and Star City buy list are hidden behind some uh, techno babble that makes it difficult to consistently pull data from them. CK makes available their entire invent their entire magic inventory uploaded a couple of times a, de- a day, and I just built my own tool that pulls from it so I can just load a bunch of card names into it, and I filter their entire inventory down to what I'm looking for. So I'll, I'll toss up an example. I just have in a list of cards to search out Oka, Thief of, Thief of Crowns, Ice Fang, Coddle, Golos, Tireless, Pilgrim, Mox, Diamond. And this just sorts through the entire CK inventory. It brings me back a couple pieces of information about the cards so I can figure out which one I'm looking for. Their retail, their retail quantity, their buy price, and their buy quantity. And that yeah. helps me if I'm going to look to reroute or if I want to buy, you know, high, quote unquote, for locals that it's been super useful for that um that's just, this is basically how i track my pioneer collection my not collection but like my pioneer specs go through that i just ran through like two or three one rows of uh, backlog specs to price out using this because it's just a copy paste operation and so this kind of mass quantity tool that is available through trader tools at, at quiet spec and a couple uh, other places allow you to do this has been infinitely useful especially when it's attached to one of the industry standard uh, buy lists. Yeah. This, and I think... Oh, okay. sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and like this placates the locals because CK yeah. buys so well. The only way people are going to do better realistically is if they post on Facebook for me. Yeah, which honestly, as a vendor, you don't really worry about. You can't because they're either going to do it or they're not, and mm-hmm. you can't buy based on that. Nope. And that's, you know... I, if you've ever had a brick and mortar, of course, there's always, but I can order this D&D book off Amazon for half the price. I know you can. Go ahead and order it. Yeah. It's not going to bother me any. I mean, yeah, it does, because you literally came in here and said, I can get it cheaper here. Why would I buy yours? But besides the point, mm-hmm. just order it. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. And that's something that you'll have to deal with. I think also... It's interesting that you mention not liking the day trading type stuff because I think that that's obviously for one topical uh, GME to the moon, but also yeah, it's something that yeah, it's something that I used to do a lot was just the pump and dump specs, and even I've gotten away from it uh, because like right now times being what they are, I'd much rather have like. 60 some odd psychic vortexes that I sit on until Card Kingdom's paying nine dollars and I kill their buy list on it just because I happen to open it one day and see it. 
yeah. because that's just way better. Yep. And, uh, you know, you can use services. Uh, you know, you can just send your stuff out to Channel Fireball, and they'll price it for you and give you a number based on that. Uh, you can just auto, you can do TCG Direct. I think there's another service uh, that TCG offers where you just shove the entire inventory to TCG, and they put it up for you and monitor, et cetera. Like, there, there are a number of ways to do this, and it really comes down to, you know, to what you want to do. Yeah. I, I like the day trading aspect aspect of it because you know, you got to respect the hustle. It's just a lot to churn. I, I, I like the oh yeah, the ease and relaxed bit of just toss it in a box and wait. And you know, just slow down, relax, chill. We vibing over here. Like that's. And, and that's you know what what these what these tools are built for. You can use them to, to swing trade. Almost anybody's uh, options are set to swing trade, or not set to, but uh, make available that ability. You just gotta want to do it. Yeah. I think it's it's been interesting to see that evolve, mm -hmm. uh, and how that's kind of entered the. Uh, just the larger MTG finance in general, because you you used to have just like people like you and me that would do that and gamble on that. And now you even have some vendors that are doing it. And that's kind of what pushed me out of it is you had those people that were like basically vendors that were day trading. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to compete with this anymore. It was cool while it was my niche. Yeah. But, but like, uh, I'll see you guys later yeah. type of thing. So is there anything you got going on in the day-to-day -day that you really rely on? Day-to-day, uh, -day, the biggest thing is honestly, you know, just talking to locals. Again, I, I think as I've shifted more towards servicing that marketplace, yep. uh, that's become way more important day-to-day. -day. My daily routine is basically, you know, not even daily, like weekly. I'll check in with a couple of playgroups. Uh, I play pauper with some of them and I'll even check with some of the shop owners that you know every day is a different shop owner like hey what's selling for you right now what do you need just like the old backpacker way and I've morphed more into a backpacker than anything else at this point yeah in terms of just trying to you know accumulate and acquire what I can and then of course scouring Facebook listings yeah, yeah um, especially for acquisitions now like checking in sick deals like all right cool who needs what um, all right well you're getting XYZ fantastic then you know you posted a list with 60 cards and i need 40 of them well i'm gonna message you and be like hey would you take this for it just to try to get those acquisitions in while i can yep. and that's that's been the biggest change for me because i used to just like occasionally well i need a volcanic so let me see if i can find someone that has a few listed and maybe pick up some other stuff that i think is undervalued yep yeah and that was kind of the way I did it. Um, so it's it's been interesting to see that evolve for sure. Mm -hmm. But that's that's basically all I do daily now. Yeah. It's a lot easier. Uh, it, it is not having to worry about what's happening in constructed allows us or allows me to to relax a lot more and kind of refocus and refresh. Like I'm starting to go back and um, go through the Commander Clash series and just watch um, their EDH vids and just trying to learn the difference between different content creators and the effect they have on the marketplace now because I think that's an interesting spot to kind of be in and yeah. uh, like I said you know a number of these uh, products are well, not products just scripts are available to our patrons my github is wide open people can download the stuff my greasy fork is uh, available linked there as well 
Um, I got a, another product I want to futz around with uh, tracking some of these cards, but I really need to kind of build that base first of like, okay, I, I need to pay attention to these content creators because I have seen them do or them play certain cards and within a period of time, those cards have moved in one direction or another. So there's, uh, is there a correlation here? And then start building out um, kind of that list and, and, and a bit of logic. And I think that's also going to serve my purpose and you know, hopefully you know, our patrons and anybody else who takes advantage of uh, what we've built and serve yeah. them fairly well as well, allowing them to try and you know, not necessarily trend track, but get ahead of things. I think that really kind of winds down the old uh, day-to-day for me. Okay. Yes. Right. Yeah, I'm good. All right. I'm going to go first because you said, quote, I didn't know what the fuck your card even was. Correct. So, <laughs> I uh, in talking about in the last episode, we mentioned tribes. And I thought, oh, wait, Dungeons & Dragons is coming up soon, isn't it? Well, I already talked about Metallic Mimic and how that seems like a low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. But what's a tribe we know is going to be in D&D? You know, you got Warrior, Fighter, whatever, Wizard, Cleric, Rogue. And I had to pick my brain to see if I could find a Rogue Lord. Mm-hmm. So I literally just Googled MTG Rogue Lords. And there's a few of them that have interesting effects, but really the only one that acts like a traditional Lord is Una's Blackguard. So Una's Blackguard is a card that was originally printed in Morningtide. I'm not picking that version, which is interesting because I am picking a foil. I am picking the WPN promo. So that's the only printing of that art. It's been reprinted since with the original art, both in Jumpstart and in Commander Zendikar. Zen, return to Return to Zendikar? Zendikar, Zendikar Rising Commander Rising. Decks. Yeah, that one. And... Because of that, I really like targeting the WPN promo. It sits at around five-ish dollars with shipping right now for low. Uh, I think that one, we're clearly not getting that art again. Two, the WPN program is dead, so we're not getting those again. Yeah, you're not going to get the DCI stamp on that bad boy. Additionally, the original foils, the original art, is still only five to six dollars. So the reprinted art and foil in the same condition, lightly played, is the same price as the WPM promo. Granted, print runs were very different between when that was released as a WPM promo in, like, 2015, I think, and when Morning Tide came out. Sure. But we have that same art reprinted again. Granted, not in foil. But I think that what you'll see is once people start to move in on rogues the fact that the una's blackguard wpn is more readily available will cause that price to push more because most of the people i and again this is kind of getting into local metagame when talking about our analysis and just knowing your buyers most people are going to be looking for that low-hanging fruit the incremental pimp factor what's the lowest thing we can get well getting in for four dollars on these doesn't seem that bad when in a few months when we hit Dungeons and Dragons, I fully expect it to be a $10 card. You're just doubling up on your retail price. And of course, at that point, Card Kingdom with their lovely buy list will probably have it hot listed for like $12 or something stupid when it first sells out. So at that point, well, you can just triple up your money and okay. yeah. 
deal no. with it, I guess. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting card for sure, and uh, like the unique art is interesting, but the addendum to that is they're not afraid to reprint uh, Judge and WPN art, and I think it's Bitter Blossom that reuses yeah. in one direction or the other. They either make a Judge art into something, into a master set art, or, or vice versa. But you're not going to get that uh, stamp on it. And so that yeah. this that makes this the like quote pimpest version you can get outside of I guess the set foil. Yeah. Which if I had to guess is probably going to command a decent price. The set foil it's, is about the same price. Yeah, as... it's the same price right now, which yeah. is absurd to me. So I feel like all right, well I'm going to get, you know, because the borders are the same. It's not a star foil. I'll get the one with that little DCI stamp on the background and the DCI set symbol. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, foil brainstorms. The Mercadian Mask set foil is ridiculous, but you know what? The FNM promo is also ridiculous. Factor Fiction, Memory Lapse, um, uh, the Madness Counterspell, Circular Logic, all those, yeah. all the, the promo versions of those cards are ridiculous because that stupid stamp, Mother of Runes. <coughs> like, this is, like you said, the, the low-hanging fruit for Pimp. Anybody who wants to play either... You know, fairy tribal in EDH because you're generally playing fairy rogues in that, or you know the full-on party mechanic. Take advantage of that, or maybe even rogue tribal in EDH is going to fall back to okay. Well, I need a, a card that affects all of my rogues that isn't just you know coat of arms or something similar. You yeah. Know, here you go for two mana. You get a one-one flyer that buffs all your little roguey rogues for a couple bucks. And I think you know in for a penny, in for a pound on this one you can pick up a bunch and feel fine about it. What you got? My pick uh, is... It's interesting because this is a Future Sight card, and it was uh, Future Sighted into both another color and another set. This is Scout's Warning. Ah. So this is yeah. a, a one-white instant. The next creature spell you play this turn can be played as though it had Flash, draw a card. So effectively, it cycles for one white. That's the worst this card does. That is the four. So uh, the adoption rate on this card overall is pretty low. It's been on my radar for a while because it hit the CK hot list, it fell off, and then I watched uh, Stephen Green play a Jared deck in a Star City <laughs> versus game. And I, was, I like so I put it back on my list of things to check out, and it just kind of sat there for a while. And then it popped on the CK hot list. It was like, okay, obviously I have to pay more attention to this card. What is it doing? And, and I looked, and this card is actually like not doing a whole lot overall. It's 0% played in EDH. But where it's played is Jared and Zer. Don't let the EDH rec page fool you. When you actually check to see who's playing it and go to MTG decks, like I mentioned earlier, search for this card, it's Zer and it's Jared and they're combo decks. So the low adoption rate is because these are aggressively slanted combo decks. You're not like putzing around here. You're just no. pedal to the metal. So this is a more competitive EDH card. So across the entirety of the format, really low adoption. But within the format, you know, Jared, uh, Carthalian, ah, true air. Basically the deck is, you, you've got Fight, fight mechanics, equipment, and a little bit of a monarchy theme. So getting in anything at instant speed that can either bring you back uh, the monarchy or fight before your turn, you know, get, get ahead a little bit is great. These uh, 
Scout's Warning does pair with uh, Savage Summoning, which is the green version of this card in that deck. They're played side by side for the same reason. Just flash your stuff in, take advantage of your mono while you have the ability to, because this deck is pretty slow and plotting, but really competitive. And then in Xur, the combo is just draw your deck and instant speed either in Labman or Thassa's Oracle. Like, that's the win con, so that's your combo, is basically just uh, Scout's Warning out one of those two before EOT response, whatever you need. And it just creates this really aggressive gameplay pattern and kind of lends itself to the fact that this is not really a casual card, but people are buying this to be competitive. And natural demand is just kind of taking this card along for the ride. So, uh, like I mentioned, there, there's a, the SEG bump I did finally uh, kick in because not only did Steven Green play this in a Jared deck, I am 100% he just Xeroxed the deck from EDH rec. So people that went back and saw that video was like, okay, he didn't just play Savage Summoning to like no real effect. Savage Summoning is part of the list. You have to own this card when you play the list. Yeah. And those eyes are what we needed to really move this card and give it more of a, a, a natural demand than what we see on the, the slope overall. So it just tanks into Ikoria and then eventually starts coming back after people realize this is a card, realize the utility and start kind of uh, moving in on this. Overall, it's been a pretty light mover on the CK buy list. After it uh, spiked back up from like a dollar, it's been sitting at 205 for about a week now, and they're still buying in the, in the range of like 22 to 25. That number hasn't really changed, so I expect it to continue to hold until quantity is removed. But the TCG volume has been dipping this entire time. Uh, my initial day info had it like 60, 70 copies of LP, and we're down or better, and now we're down to about 50 with no real relists. And the thing I want to stress about this card is that it is a single print card, which means that until we get a reprint, demand is what's going to carry this naturally. I really don't expect a spike to just come in and, and pull this out because we get Time Spiral 2 this year, and Time Spiral 2 is basically condensing down that entire block into a draft set, which includes Future Sight, which means we might see the reprint of Scout's Warning. So the turnaround on this has got to be really quick. If you want to pull in now, it's the optimal time. As you, uh, I'll bring the stocks graph back up and zoom in a little more because you can see that the, um, the average has been climbing pretty steadily over the last two weeks, and I expect that to continue as supply dries. So if I were going to move in on this card, this would be one of those times where I think you've got to flip in the next three months to ensure that you're not going to get hoisted by Time Spiral 2 spoilers, because we should start getting those first. If the timeline is to be believed, it's the first of the supplemental sets, and I think we start getting leaks shortly before or after the D&D set. I don't remember yeah. where they fall on the schedule, and I would not want to get hoisted by this. I don't feel good about a quick flip like this, but I think it's as sure a thing as you're going to get in these next couple of weeks that isn't a low-hanging spec from call time or commander legends also utility in edh if you play white the cycles for one white it's not bad you can still flash it in a chroma with this thing but you can't flash it real quick to see how many of these are on card market even yeah okay so card market in terms of english copies uh which you know obviously not a ton there uh, we're looking at a grand total, yeah, 
same deal. This is another opportunity that if you're willing to go to MKM, you can ship a large quantity of these. There's a few sellers that have 20 plus uh, for after conversion, basically less than Card Kingdom is paying. So if you can get enough of that, there's an opportunity there as well. I really like this pick because I think one, it does the thing that people have been begging to get white to do for years, which is draw a card. Two, it rewards aggressive strategies. And if there's one thing we've learned from wizards and set design over the last, since Kaladesh, they want to get increasingly aggressive with their card design. And the more aggressive they get, similar to Collected Company, the more cards like Scout's Warning are rewarded. Yep. So I, I agree on the timeline. I also think that if you don't get out in time, it becomes a much longer term hold. But similar to, you know, bell bottoms being in fashion again at some point, Scout's Warning is going to come back again. Yep. Uh, because this is the type of card that looking at it, I, if they reprint it, based on where it's at price-wise, the next time eyes hit it, it's going to explode again. Yep. And I think that anytime, God bless Papa Stephen Green, he's great, love him every SCG, uh, every time that a piece of content gets released with this card, this is the type of thing that will be forgotten about. Mm -hmm. Content gets released, eyes get on it, it explodes again. Yep. I, that's why, like I said, I put it on my list immediately because I was like, oh yeah, this card, this is a card, this is a card you can play in any white deck, but for whatever reason, it's just, it's in white, and I think there's a stigma around a lot of white cards, which is just, oh, you can't play it elsewhere, it's just got to exist in mono white, and mono white is so bad, why would you play it in EDH? Savage Summoning, while it's only represented in 1% of decks in EDH, has three times the number of decks, or is played in three times the number of decks, because... One, green is much more prevalent in EDH. And two, a green fatty boom boom, generally speaking, does a lot more than a white fatty boom boom. And if you're playing a white fatty boom boom, it's like Elish Norn or a Chroma, something like that. And you're probably not being, like you said, very aggressive with this. And that's why I wanted to make that point very early on, which is when you look at these Jared decks and these Zerd decks, especially using, uh, like I said, MTG decks, Search for Scouts Warning, and read through those lists, they are very aggressively slanted to do what they're going to do. You're not going to dirtle yeah. with these decks like you see on the EDH rec page with Celestial Kieran. That's not what this card is currently being used for. But with more eyes on it, more people should adopt this card, much like they should adopt Savage Summonings. Because it just cycles for a singular color. It's it's not sure. It's not Tranquil Thicket or Secluded Step, the cycling lands. It just cycle for a single color. It does more than that. It's not a land, yeah. sure, so it doesn't count your 34 to 37, whatever you're running. But it, it cycles, it, it redraws, it allows you to play your creature at instant speed and take advantage of a board state you might not have been able to otherwise. Especially in white. Yeah. I, I think this is just a, a lack of adoption because it is just not seen, the optics aren't there for it. At yeah, all. I think that's very much the case on a lot of cards like this. Like, Cantriping plus is never bad. I don't think there's ever been a cantrip plus for one mana that I've looked at and been like, ah, eh, this card's garbage. It's too poopy. Yeah. No. Correct me if I'm wrong. If anyone remembers one, please say something on Twitter, YouTube, wherever. Let us know. I mean, what if you cantrip for zero, but you lose two life, and you also see your opponent's hand? Is that too good or too bad? No, it's fine. Okay. That's fine yeah. to print. Because you can counter yeah. it. By also paying two life. 
See? Perfect. The spell that counters everything. <laughs> so if you're paying two, like, I don't know. They even out in the end, those two spells. Perfect. Yeah, they're fine. Who doesn't like free spells? You gotta, you gotta use three spells to get all that? Come on, get out of here. Yeah, it's I terrible. mean, look, if I can play goblins and see your hand and draw a card, psh, that's not a problem. And then, if you do the same to me, I just counter in goblins with my zero yeah. CMC spell and just pay two life. Everything's fine. Well, that, that's enough Good about job, Phyrexians. Watsi. Look, Phyrexians are great. Their mana is fantastic. Let us say nothing ill about them. Because who knows where we're going to find the rest of them. But... Oh, I'm having an aneurysm. Yeah, I was going to say, as I slowly kill you in the outro. <laughs> uh, that'll be it for this week, guys. You know, we're sorry for the delay on this having to go up on Wednesday. It's just schedules did not permit a, an earlier in the week uh, podcast. So we're going to have a quick turnaround on this and then, again, hopefully get you one on uh, Monday like we usually do. But, you know, thanks for sticking through with this. Um, so things like this, and we say it every now and again, we, we got to bubble up because the, the landscape is always changing. So these are always worthwhile episodes for us, especially since we take more of a vendor perspective uh, at large and local. These are the things yeah. that are relevant to us and our audience. And it seems like it's not like people don't care. Some people might think it's too humdrum. But for us, these are very important because this is what helps us serve our audience in terms yeah. of card buying and selling the best. So you know, thank you again. And uh, for anybody out there who's listening and isn't uh, a, a patron, if you want access to the Tamper Monkey script, etc., you can just uh, hit us up on. Yes. One dollar a month. That's well, it. Yeah, we 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 ask for a dollar a month, but for the for the access to Tamper Monkey scripts, the the Git repo, etc., you can just hit us up on Twitter. You can find us at MTG Cabalcast yeah. on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, YouTube. You can find the podcast on. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Audible. If you want to talk to me uh, directly so Thirsty doesn't see any of our conversations about uh, my code and how he doesn't know how to read it, you can talk to me at Halt. I am Reptar on Twitter. Otherwise, Selenium or bust, baby. If, otherwise, if you want to bother him, you can find him at Thirsty Scissor. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>